Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Welcome to the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with a, a, a budding superstar, my my guy, my guy Brock Landis. Brock, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. As always, I appreciate the warm introduction. Uh, so let's get a crack, and we've got some nonsense to talk about today. <laughs> some nonsense? Okay. <laughs> I'm so, trying to offer nonsense because the uh, – well, the Sixers are doing something that's that's long overdue, uh, so let's let's start with that. Also, quick update. Let's get it. Let's get an update on where that we are, where we are in the robbery thing. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to know? So, has, have there been any arrests? No arrests. The detective hasn't contacted me back. Uh, the landlord kind of gave up on the case. So at this point, it's either we become masked vigilantes flying on the uh, rooftops of. Broad Street houses and, and houses in Philadelphia, or we just live with it. So uh, we're going to choose the latter. Uh, life goes on, but I appreciate the concern and the support. Listen, if I got to go out there with like, like a siren on my car, like, wee <laughs> you, know, you know I'll do it. I'll, I'll be out there. Return the stolen <laughs> I, I, I appreciate property. that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so we do have some front office changes. They – the Sixers decide to bring in Peter Dinwiddie. Um, the wrong Dinwiddie. We wanted Spencer <laughs> and we got Peter. So close. <laughs> um, and then they bring in Ma- the magic director of scouting, Prosper Karangwa, or Karangwa. I have no idea how to pronounce his name yet, so I apologize if I got it wrong. Um, and, of course, this is according to Noah Levick of NBC Sports Philadelphia, although many before him also had it. Um, and I guess for better or for worse, there's a lot of ambiguity as to who these guys kind of are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, by all accounts from the people that I've sort of texted with and talked to, Karang, uh, Peter Dinwiddie's a really, really good mind and he's, and he's a good, a good hire. Um, and you know, but again, I think that it's almost intentional that there's not a lot to go off of. No one really knows about these guys because yeah. I think that this front office, this ownership group has felt the pulse of the city all season long, going into the summer, going into the off season. And I think the, the, as little, the, 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 the lesser information out there about whoever they hired, the better, unless the guy's like a star, like a Daryl Morey. Um, so I think, you know, people don't really know what to make of Prosper Karangwa or Peter Dinwiddie. Um, I will say that, you know, Dinwiddie has played a role in in in, in the Pacers identifying, you know, these these pieces that are like not marginal role players per se, definitely not that, but more guys that aren't stars and being able to build this core of you know a playoff contender. And if it weren't for injuries the last two seasons to their to their you know best players, they they you know they would have they could have put together some decent playoff runs. They pushed the Cavs to seven games with LeBron a couple of years ago. And that was the old depot um, and, and, and uh, Sabonis. So, you know, I think while the resume obviously isn't like this sexy, glorious resume that 
a guy like a Moray might have. Um, you know, I, I think oftentimes you can't always go for the home run. You got to go for the single and hope that you can steal second and third base and turn that into a, a you know, a, a, a bloop and a blast. If, if you have, what have you. Um, and I think, you know, the, this, this guy Prosper Karangwa was around for the Jonathan uh, Isaac draft. So, I mean, again, not a lot of information to go off of, obviously, but I think they like it that way. And I hope that they weren't making a decision of like, how can we find the most no-name person out there? And that way, like the fans don't know what to make of it. But I, I think that the bigger story here is that they got rid of Alex Rucker, which, by all accounts, from you know, from 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 reporters and from you know, the whispers was that he was a big part of the issue. Um, and you know, people want to talk about how like the Colangelo pieces. Were the uh, are still there? These were the Hingy guys that left. I get the point, but also if we're having this, this if 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 the entire time people are up in arms about this collaborative nature, you also can't say that it isn't a cha- it isn't a, a change for the better because you don't know which guys are making which decisions. Like how do you know that Hinky's guys weren't the ones that were saying let's go for the Horford contract? So I think any change in most ways is going to be a good change. Um, and so even without the ton of information out there, I kind of, I, you know, I, I think it's very interesting. I think we're going to see a, not like a different version of the team, but I think that we're going to, it's sort of like almost the dawn of a new era, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it definitely does. And the thing that you kind of alluded to was that you not only get some of the guys or the remnants of the Colangelo era out of here, but also some of the Brett Brown guys out. And the problem with the limited information on these guys, because they work in front offices, is that you can't really make an assessment and determine what their impact is going to be. But what I can tell you is that everything in terms of Philadelphia 76 or basketball for the past three years or so has been analytically driven from the decisions that are made in free agent signings to apparently Brett Brown's rotations. Uh, There have been rumblings behind the scenes that some of these rotations were, uh, you and I know, tracked in a spreadsheet or maybe spoon-fed to Brett for Brett to use during a game, and he couldn't deviate too far from that. that. So these are all (laughs) things that could be rumored, but things as a Sixer fan or a Sixer insider or somebody that's just watched this team for the past three years has – been able to observe and and now it all kind of makes sense so I think the general feel is that the team is going back and moving away from the analytically driven approach and kind of taking a a real life human basketball approach and I think that's going to be beneficial for the team so while I don't think it's going to be a completely new identity yet I think it's going to be a more productive environment Uh, we talk countless times about how maybe Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons aren't held accountable because Brett Brown doesn't hold them accountable. And then the people above Brett Brown don't hold him accountable. Uh, So I think all of those things are going to subside now. I think there's going to be more accountability in the front office. I I think people are in the front office now that actually have a pulse on modern basketball and what's going on around the league. So, uh, yeah, you're right. While while there is very limited information, uh, we do have cautious optimism because these guys do have somewhat of a pretty good resume. And also, it's just good to get the old guys out of the uh, front office that have been there for over five years. We do have some breaking news um, involving the Sixers. Again, breaking news. Let me make a banner here. Uh, I'm getting a couple Sixers. texts on my phone. So, yeah, this is breaking news. The Sixers have hired Jameer Nelson as a oh, scout. I like that. And- as the like assistant and as the assistant GM of the Blue Coats, um, so again, Jameer Nelson, uh, Jameer Nelson does indeed uh, is joining the, the the Sixers as a scout and as um, like the assistant GM of the Blue Coats. I actually think that's a really good hire because yeah. you're you're bringing in old heads into the game and ba- yep. and you're bringing in basketball minds uh you know it, it, into this franchise and I think you need that way more than you need anything else so I do I, I do like that hire again Jameer Nelson has been hired um, as a, a scout and as the assistant GM 
of the blue coats. Um, so we have more change. We have more change coming about, um, and it's 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 just go. It's just it keeps coming. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Jameer Nelson is St. Joe's product. Um, played in the NBA for I think like over a decade. Was an, was an All Star. Was a point oh, guard. And I think more than anything, it matters that he was a point guard in the NBA. <laughs> um, I, I think that I think that could help a lot. Um, in terms of identifying talent and you know th- that that type of thing, I also think it makes a lot of sense because his son um, is you know is 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 in the East Coast. He's playing for, I believe, uh, George Washington University. So this opportunity allows him to stay closer to home and sort of um, you know be around his family more. So I like it. A good hire for him, and I think for the franchise as well. Um, so getting back to what you're talking about, I think. Like if if you think about the the Sixers uh, from a standpoint of their front office, and like you look at Alex Rucker, you look at um, you Ned know the, the the what Ned Ned too Ned Cohen yeah Ned Cohen right all right Ned Cohen um, um, look at you know th- those two and the reason that like we the reason that we wanted everybody gone was because we didn't know what anybody did themselves like we don't know what the roles were we don't we don't know who was responsible for what that's why we wanted everybody gone because it was like you got a clean house because you don't know who does what Mm -hmm. um and i think the sixers kind of like it that way um and i think you know the reason that we don't really know what to make of this is because they've kind of kept us out of the loop in the same way as to what who's responsible for what so Ultimately, you know, we've been in this podcast for, for 10 minutes, 45 seconds already. And it kind of feels like, you know, we don't have a ton to say because we that's the point. That's that's why that's the, the way that they want this to be. They don't want us to be able to throw shit at their at, at their old lackeys um, and, you know, basically call them out for the the terrible jobs that they've done. <laughs> um, so there's that. Now we are getting into the uh, the draft season. And I don't know if you've done a ton of evaluations. Uh, I, I don't expect that you have, and I don't blame you. You have a lot. You have a lot going on. You're a student. You are working. You're generally acting a fool with 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 with, with your boys, um, and that's not. And that's when you're not texting me or posting snap stories on the basketball court outside. Um, so um, I don't expect. I, I don't expect you to have much scouting done let me ask you this what would you how would you rank in terms of like top four or five needs how would you rank the characteristics of who the Sixers need to draft sure but Austin you can't open the podcast call me a star in the making and then not expect me to come prepared with draft profiles I mean that's just ridiculous that's well I wanted to I wanted to set the bar low and then have you exceed expectations like All a star right, well, then that's even better so so then we can we can exceed expectations uh yeah I've, I've done a little bit of research uh so I do have a handful of players that I'd anticipate the sixers are interested in drafting at, at that 20s range uh provided some fall. But I, I do think some of the guys that I've scouted are, are uh, probably highly touted and they're going to go a little earlier than, than where the Sixers are. But in terms of characteristics, uh, I think first and foremost, floor spacing needs to be addressed in this draft. Uh, and if you look at recent drafts for Philadelphia, uh, one of the things that Philadelphia has not done in particularly is nurture or develop the guys that they've drafted. Uh, you, you, you take really low risk fillers in the second round. In the first round, you trade or you get cash considerations, you move down. Uh, So for Philadelphia in this draft, they need to really prioritize floor spacing in that first round. Now, I'd say that the first characteristic you look for in anything is a three-point shooter, one that's going to push the ball and and continue to move the pace of the offense. So I'd argue that three-point shooting is the most prominent characteristic that the Sixers should attack in this draft. Second, it's playmaking. Right, you draft Matisse Thibel, you've got an all-defensive player in Ben Simmons. You've got Joel Embiid, who's, of course, a defensive stopper, and, and he can just hang out in the paint with his back to the basket, and he helps your defense tremendously in just doing that, just, just having a presence on the floor. So I think second, you need playmaking. You, you need either a primary ball handler, a, a primary initiator of the offense, 
if the ball isn't in the hands of Ben Simmons, or if it is in the half court, you need a playmaker. You need a guy that's going to help his teammates get good looks. You need a guy that's going to be committed to off-ball movement, just committed to offense in the half court, uh, and just gives you a little more than three-point shooting. So I'd say second is is most definitely playmaking. And and third, I, I love the multi-positional guys. I think there's there's plenty of guys in this draft that are arguably three and, three and D guys that can play on the wing, they can play at the two position, and they can even play at the four. So uh, among my first three most important characteristics would be three-point shooting, so floor spacing there, playmaking, and then multi-positional uh, defense, any versatility really, uh, where, where on offense or defense you can provide a problem uh, where – Either the other team has to match up with you offensively or defensively. You can go out and guard guys at different positions. And uh, in Doc Rivers' system, in, in historically with Doc Rivers, that's exactly what he's looking for, a multi-positional guy. Uh, he alluded to that in an interview a couple of weeks ago that he knows that the direction of basketball is moving towards multi-positional guys that can defend multiple positions and do a lot of things on offense. So uh, those are the, the biggest characteristics I'd be looking for in the, in the Sixers draft this year. For sure. So I think first and foremost, um, you definitely, I think you need just, whether it be like, <laughs> this is going to be stupid, but whether it be like a center or a power forward or a small forward or a point guard or a shooting guard, whatever, I don't care what position he plays. You need somebody who is a bona fide sniper. So the best shooter that's available to you in this draft you need to take, um, it, you know, I, it, you, we're going to be, if we're going to buy into this whole concept of like a positionless NBA, you got to really buy into that full heartedly and say, okay, now how can I incorporate, I got to draft this guy. He's the best shooter in the class that I have available to me. How do I incorporate him? How do I incorporate him into the lineup? How do I find uh, a Kevin Love or like a Dave, a Davis Bertans? I don't mean, um, I don't, I don't mean like you're going to find a star like Kevin Love, but somebody who's a, a, a you know, who is your knockdown shooter um, mm-hmm. and, you know, fit him into the lineup somehow that way. And I do think there are some guys in this draft that, well, no one's like, well, well I don't think you're going to find like a, a Duncan Robinson or like a JJ Redick in this draft. I think you, you can, you might um, doubt it, but you might, I, I, I think you're looking for like, you know, a, a guy that's going to be 38, 39%. Uh, from three and then maybe like, or, or, you know, at best like 40, which is like sniper territory, but that's not like the, gra- you don't, I don't think a lot of guys have the gravity that JJ has as a shooter, or like that Bertans has as a, as a shooter, Duncan Robinson has as a shooter. Um, so I, I, I think you, you have to go with number one, the best shooter in the draft that's available to you. Mm-hmm. Whether that be, whether that be like uh, Tyrell Terry or Desmond Bain, or um, I don't think Kyra Lewis will be available. Yep. But if if, it, if it's him, it's him. Whatever. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant with a guy like Tyrell Terry because I think the positionless concept works more for bigger guys than it does for little guys. And I think he's a little bit small for for like where you, like I think you can use him exclusively in like two types of lineups. One that features Ben at power forward or center and him at, and, and, and Tyrell at point guard or where you're going like five big guys and a small guy with, with Tyrell as like the, uh, the shooting guard. And you're kind of like saying like, well, your best defender or, or you're, you know, like, like you're going to have to basically bet on, on us messing up a help rotation and not target our guy or they're not going to switch whatever. Um, but I think there's just sort of a limited number of lineups that you can use with Terry, even as good of a shooter as he is. Um, so I'd kind of straight away from him. I think for, for, for me, um, it's, it's, it's going to be someone like Desmond Bain, six, 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 seven, maybe a little bit on the slow fight, slow side as a defender, but can like kind of create space for his own shot um, and is generally going to be like, you know, like he's a deep ball shooter. Like he, he's not like towing the, the three point line, knocking down shots. He's like, okay, I'm comfortable from like 
28 feet out, which they don't have anybody like that right now. Um, so I, I think if, if I think that's the guy I would go for, and you kind of hope that maybe gets in a little bit of shape, maybe like, like, like you can sort of reshape that body a little bit, get him a little lighter. <laughs> um, maybe you can, you can turn him into like a net, a net neutral defensive player. But I think in the NBA, he's going to struggle defensively, but I, I tend to love his offensive game. Yeah. And, and Bain was in college for four years at TCU. So you'd be drafting a guy with experience if you draft Bain. Um, I'm actually going to disagree. And the reason why I'm, I'm disagreeing with what you said about Tyrell Terry is, is because I actually think his potential is really high. I, I think the, the sky is the limit for Terry. And although Duncan Robinson and uh, Ty Hero may be skewing my opinion negatively because now everybody's going to look for these types of guys in the draft, uh, I'm, I'm positive to a fault. And that's how I feel about Terry. Uh, this is a guy that shot over 40% from three, a very high IQ basketball player with good instincts. He, he finishes well. He does a lot of things really well. Like if, if the three-point isn't given to him, he can stop on a dime and, and hit a mid-range. He's really good at, at fitting through tight windows uh, to create that shot. But what I really like about Terry is that he's got age on his side. He's not afraid to shoot from anywhere on the floor. So you talk about Bane shooting and, and letting it fly, fly from deep. Uh, Terry was one of the most productive shooters in the nation, and he shot from everywhere in the half court. Pull up. Head fakes got open five feet from beyond the arc and shot it. So I love Terry's range, but here, here's two things I'm looking at. In college, almost one and a half steals a game on a team that plays top 10 in terms of defensive rating in the NCAA. So A, regardless of what you have with a lineup, if you can have him on the floor with Ben Simmons or Thibel and Joel Embiid, you can kind of mask that defense with a Landry Shamit type player. Uh, okay. Terry is a Landry Shamit type player, in my opinion, with better defense. And and offensively, he told Mike Schmitz of ESPN when they broke down his film that the film he most frequently watches is Steph Curry, C.J. McCollum pull-ups, J.J. Redding, JJ Redick's feet placement uh, after running around screens, things like that. So uh, for a guy that, that can shoot the rock and also loves to push the pace and push the ball as fast as he can, I think if, if you could get Terry where the Sixers are in this draft, that would be – Fantastic for their offense. Okay. That's well, – I, mean, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I love Bain too. Like I said, you, you get a really experienced four-year four year guard. Uh, Peyton Pritchard's a guy that can shoot. I, I don't think he's – he's. you're going to have to take Pritchard that early. But um, in, in terms of shooters there, I think there's a couple for the Sixers to grab. So Bain wouldn't be the end of the world either. So I think for me, like – we kind of live in this world where we're like kind of trying to find like, like, okay, is every guy that's like a lights out shooter, but below the size of like six, four, six, five, is that guy going to be the next Steph Curry? And I think, yeah. I, I, I think it's like, how, how does that really work? Why well, how, is that really like a feasible kind of projection or, or hope that you're going to find this guy who's like kind of small, kind of undersized, <coughs> But um, we got to get a mask for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like kind of small, kind of undersized, but can like basically pull from like 35 feet out. And I, I just don't think that's like, I think that's a bad way of going about things. If that's what you're trying to, that if you're going to like view every small guy that can shoot. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. Well, we'll just put him in a Steph Curry role. Like I don't think that's how it works. Um, and so I think you have to go with like, who is the guy that's not going to require ball dominant play? So he'll fit in next to Ben and Joe. Can sort of, you know, like hit you with like a little bit of like a sidestep move or like a little like counter move. So it isn't just like he has to stand in one spot and be completely open and get an open look. Like he can sort of create a little bit for himself and dabble in like one dribble moves. Um, and then like quick, like, you know, like, like is, is not going to hesitate to shoot the ball. I think, Guys like Desmond Bain are, are that guy, but that's just that's just my first characteristic. My second, <laughs> I said name like I said two or three, or did I say five? I think you said five. I okay, couldn't five. think that fast on the fly though. My, right. my 
my mind doesn't my mind doesn't operate like yours and in, in, it's all right let me, let me stop let me stop go ahead God. i was gonna say something about your head it's a, it's a big one my head is massive head. i will say that it's fucking huge by the um, way though i like i like the new twitter profile picture you bust my balls look- a lot about twitter profile pictures i like yours though i like it Classy, you know, got 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 to have the blazer on. Little uh, little uh, little fade happening. I like it. Little um, fade, uh, <laughs> facial hair coming in on that too. I that like was it. I think I was like a junior in college. When I took that picture. It was like okay. this is like a Thanksgiving dinner. I think. Right in was. Your Yep. There we go. Um, second one I think is obviously ball handling shot creator, and I, I tend to think that at twenty one. You're not going to get somebody who can be like your lead guard shot creator. Like it's going to be someone who who you envision being able to like develop into that role, where it's someone that you can basically count on to 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 give you like multiple self created possessions. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be someone that's like that's like a Will Barton type guy, not a star, just somebody that can be your Lou Will, can be your Will Barton, can be your like Jamal Crawford. And I think if you can, I think if you can find that twenty-one, it's a successful draft. But I also think it's somebody that has to be able to like catch and shoot the ball, and not like a, not like a 37 percent shooter. But like I think you need someone that's like a thirty-seven, thirty-eight, um, and is like, hey, I can, I can take a guy out the dribble confidently, and and and, um, you know. Like a like like a two dribble pull up, or like a, like a step back, or like a, I'm gonna cross hard left, and then stop on a dime and pull up. There's somebody that you that, that your defenses are actually afraid to like chase to like not chase over a screen in fear of him turning the corner and stopping and pulling up. Like imagine the concept of like a Spencer Dinwiddie. What if the Sixers had somebody like a Spencer Dinwiddie? Imagine a world where you have both a a guy, a guy that can do both standstill shooting and shooting off the dribble. Imagine a basketball player being able to do that. You imagine that? I can't imagine that. Not to say yeah. Philadelphia doesn't happen. Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to change their fortune, and this this might be the draft to do it. So that's definitely a priority, and and I think our goals align uh, pretty similarly because Philadelphia really lacks that ball handler, and and that's been pretty apparent not only in the regular season but in the playoffs too. Uh, when when the court shrinks, you need that secondary ball handler that can not only create for himself but other players too. So Spencer Dinwiddie's great at setting up his teammates. Uh, if you can get a point guard that's that's capable of doing that and shooting, uh, that's a match made in heaven for Philadelphia. Because we also don't know uh, the thing we have to consider is how Doc Rivers is going to use Ben Simmons too. Uh, I, I don't really think he's going to revert back to that uh, Ben Simmons at the power forward position experiment unless Philadelphia trades for a true point guard like Chris Paul or like Spencer Dinwiddie. So um, that's another thing that, that remains to be seen. For sure. And I think the weird part about this draft is there are a, a lot of guys, like this is a rich draft in terms of like finding pieces in that 18 to like 28 range, maybe even like the 18 to 35 range, to be honest, where you can mm-hmm. like find like legitimate rotation pieces that you can that can like fill one maybe two roles, um, but like there obviously aren't a lot of stars. Like I think it's the top three, and then there's like a big drop off, and then four through six or four through seven, then like another drop off. Then there's eight through like sixteen, I think. Um, so I, I I think like those guys that can be your number one shot creator can be your lead guard, um, can get you 30 on like any given night and not have it be like a really hot night. Um, mm-hmm. all, those guys are all up in the front, like Lonzo or uh, not Lonzo. Lamello. Um, Mello, um, Anthony, Anthony, Edwards. Anthony Edwards. And honestly, like I'm not really like completely sold on any of those guys. Like I, I liked Edwards because I, I kind of saw him as like, what if he can be an Oladipo? But I also saw a world where he's just Dion Waiters, which is kind of sad if you use. Hey, that's damn cheese! Come on, man, that's <laughs> <laughs> bad about Dion. He just won a chip. Yeah, he won a championship. 
Yeah. I won't tolerate any Dion Waiters slander. The Never. only the only good thing about him winning a championship was that he actually got cut by the Heat and then went to go on to win a championship. Well, that's I he ate too many edibles on the airplane. He got so high they had Listen, to hospitalize him. They said, "All right, you, we don't want to deal with this," and then he won a final. Speaking of weed, did you hear that the NBA wasn't testing for weed during the bubble? Yeah, I think I think that's that's. Probably the direction sports are going to go in, probably, and, and and I think that's a great thing for sports. Uh, the reason I say that is because I am am pretty. I, I usually side with the players, right? I'm 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 usually someone that uh, will side with players over management or, or, or ownership more often than not. Uh, the thing is with the NFL, most notably. They're just giving these guys like drug addictions for free. They're they're giving them painkillers and they're giving them meds and and lifelong drug addictions. And they'd rather them be addicted to these drugs or these opioids instead of them smoking weed or, or doing something that they think is beneficial for their own health. So in the NFL, in in the previous few seasons, you've had a lot of players be more vocal about that um, smoking before games, smoking after games, maybe dealing with injury. And because of that, the NFL has gotten really lenient. And I've also heard stories from from players past on podcasts that uh, there's there's certain ways you can kind of still smoke during the NFL season and avoid testing positive for a drug test. Like they're kind of informed when the tests are. They have maybe like a three to six month span of when they can smoke, when they have to stop, or, or I should not say smoke. I should just say using marijuana recreationally. Um, but the thing with the NBA now too is. Adam Silver is a very player first commissioner and, and he's listening to what the players say. And that's what the players want. Uh, if you watch all the smoke podcast, Matt Barnes, I have, I have begun to listen to that show. I was listening. I was picking my mom and dad up in the airport on Friday and I was listening to it and my I was, favorite. and it was Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr episode. It was a really good episode. It's a yeah, really it's good great. show. So you've got Matt Barnes and stack and they bring players on and the players talk about how they feel and and their perspectives on things. And it's just really brought in my perspective because I've learned how the players feel. So I I think that's the direction the league's going to be moving in. And I think that's a smart decision by Adam Silver. This season, there was a lot going on. Uh, These players had to deal with a lot. They're in a bubble right now. So um, we'll let them do them. And and now I, I think I saw that. There was a Celtics podcast. There was some podcast where a former Celtics player was talking about all of the crazy stuff that was happening in the bubble, apparently. And I'm not sure I believe any of it, but they were saying there were stories of like the players rented a house off campus that they would go to and and hang out in at that house. And they'd go travel back and forth and party there. And then there was a story about a couple of players saw a girl across the lake. They wanted to go talk to the girl. So a player was going to go swim in the lake and then they threw something in the lake, and a bunch of alligators came. And, and I don't buy that at all. I just yeah, don't I, don't, I don't believe any of the stories, and I don't even know how how they would get that information. But it was just funny to, I, to listen. To that. I I don't think I I have a hard time believing that this house was truly off campus because I believe I I do believe um, the the I do believe the story that like. They bought that they like rented a house or whatever. I don't believe that it was off campus. It was probably something that they discovered was like on the very foot of campus and was like towing the lines, but technically wasn't outside of like the the perimeter. <clears throat> so I definitely believe that. I don't believe that someone decided to go jump in a lake, n- notoriously known for alligators. Like yeah. there was a baby from like Minnesota that was killed in the lake when his family was in Disney because he got like drowned by the alligator. You're telling me that an athlete's going to go in there? Alligators like, are nasty. They're alligators. nasty as hell. They're, they're, they're dinosaurs. Now they'll, they'll gator roll you. They'll chop you. They have the strongest jaw pressure in the animal kingdom. I think they're, they're freaks. Yeah. And there's no way that like TMZ or Bleacher Report or someone isn't finding that video on like Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. There's no way. That that that, Listen, that that happens, and there and it's not in like the media. And then you tell me that <laughs> Daniel House is the one example of a player getting exposed during the bubble, and I think that's the best we'll get as as fans. So if they were on Daniel House about 
um, apparently cheating or whatever, bringing somebody into the uh, facility that shouldn't have been there. They would have been on these these stories of players doing dumb stuff. So I don't really believe any of that happened, but it was just funny to hear. Yeah. So anyway, back back to uh, the draft. Um, so I I think that you know they, they I think that there are some possibilities in terms of like adding a guy like a um, Malachi Flynn out of San Diego State. Um, but I also don't know like how many of these guys fall into that role of backup point guard in that case. And I don't think I want to draft a I don't think I would I don't think I would want to draft a backup point guard as my but my, my 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 first round pick. Um like I want something that can be that can play a bigger role because I mean let's face it, I think we're heading for a scenario where Ben is going to be the backup is going to be the primary point guard, obviously. Whether whether people believe he's a point guard or not, I just think that's how it's going to be. Um and so if you're going to if you're going to draft a backup point guard like how much how many minutes per game is that guy realistically going to play like 15 maybe that's 15 less hollow meadow minutes we have to watch though <laughs> that's true and i could always go for less uh for less hollow meadow minutes that's for sure if he if he's yeah. even back next year which i wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if he was back next year um so that's where i think they're headed in terms of like point guard or like Shot creator, like if you can get Malachi Flynn, not a bad pick at all. I let's only do three because I don't. I think there's only three that you can like really worth that are really worth doing. Mm-hmm. I think finding somebody that can be like a stretch five, but could also rim run, is an is a necessity because I just don't think that they're going to return Al Horford. I, I just don't think he's going to be here. No matter what that whatever that deal looks like, I just don't think it's going to. I don't think he's going to be here. I, so, I I'm inclined to agree as well. Yeah. Um, and like, if you listen to the low post, they're like cooking yeah. up a bunch of trade scenarios. And I think Zach Lowe makes a good point um, because he says, everyone's pitching me Horford trades, but okay. What am I, what am I getting back for taking on Horford? Mm-hmm. And that's a good point. But I think you can sugarcoat that with like a, a, a future first, or maybe even like, like a couple seconds from this year. I think you can, Throwing like a Josh Richardson or a Shake or a Matisse, unless this, yeah, Zaire, I definitely get the vibe that his. I, I heard even his family think he's gone. Um, oh. it was like not part of the Sixers. So, I, you know, I, I, that, that's what I was just told. I'm not really reporting it. I just think it's like, well, I guess I am kind of reporting it. If I'm saying that, but okay. <laughs> so, but, so uh, let me but, let me ask you. Let me ask you this though, because you've got is that a Villanova hoodie on? Yeah. So how do you feel about Sadiq Bay with the Sixers selecting? Provided provided he falls there. I've I've really I've seldom been interested in the Sixers drafting a Villanova guy. Because I really? feel like I want I, I feel like I want someone I haven't seen before. Now okay. I was I was pretty hype. Not hype, but I was I was excited to hear that they were gonna draft Mikhail Bridges, although that dream is very short lived. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. So I mean I, um I, I was cool with it, mm-hmm. but I'm not like I gotta have this guy. I gotta have you know that guy. The Sixers gotta take this or that guy. Um, so I tend to like I would like that pick. I think it's I think I think it's a a, a wise pick and it makes sense for them. And I think his ceiling is like Chris Middleton. Which is damn good, um, but I don't think he'll fall that far. I think this is a really good draft for Sadiq Bay to like get up to that like late lottery yeah. range, and I think in other drafts he wouldn't get there. I mean, he's a guy where you talk about a stretch five. I don't think he could play the five, but he's no. a former point guard. He's 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 a former point guard turned wing who had this incredible growth spurt and. I mean, he he did play big for Villanova, and teams tried to run him off. But for the most part, he was a really good ball player. I mean, looking at some of his numbers, he's a 42% career three-point shooter. This year it was 45% on almost six attempts a game. And, and I mean, you watch the deep base, so you know he's not just taking catch-and-shoot three-point shots. He's moving around with the ball and catching and, and doing creative things to get a shot off. So to shoot that high on six attempts a game is pretty impressive. He had that 10% jump from his freshman to sophomore year, 
But the thing I like about him is that he's a great off-ball cutter. And that's what I liked about Bridges, too. I still think you need a, a complement offensively for Ben Simmons in transition or in the half court that's, that's going to be committed to that off-ball movement. And that's something Doc Rivers talked about, too. If Philadelphia is going to ramp the pace up and, and they're going to do more in the half court in terms of movement, you need somebody off-ball. And, and when I look at the current Sixers roster, if there isn't any change, if it's still Josh Richardson on the roster, it's still Thibel, if it's still Shake Milton, I don't really see any of those guys being committed to off-ball movement the way maybe Sadiq Bey would be able to. So if he does fall, I think the Sixers need to use their brains here and, and finally take a local kid in, in Sadiq Bey from Villanova uh, from that pipeline. But the one criticism I've had in, in just watching him is that his mechanics are good, but he just needs more space to comfortably shoot the ball. Um, he, he was defended by bigger guys in college, so they, they may be hesitant to close out or defend him as closely. So he, he needs more space to, to comfortably get that shot off. And, I mean, Ben Simmons is the perfect player in the NBA to get you more space to get that shot off. So if he's there, you take him. Um, but, Austin, you're the Villanova guy. You're the draft guy. So if you don't think he's going to be there, uh, I'm going to I'm going to assume he's not. I, yeah, I, I would be I would be very surprised if um, if he was there available um, for them. And if he was there, I would certainly recommend taking him because I think mm-hmm. it's a good fit for the Sixers. He also shot like 45 percent from three this season with um, like, yeah. a, like a healthy number of attempts per game. So, I mean, he is literally the shooter that you need if, you, if he's there. Um so, but and here's like the weird thing. Like, I don't know that I buy that there is like a, a rim running stretch five there in this draft because the, the fives are generally very athletic and like very defensive minded. But I don't know that I've found one yet that I'm like, this guy can shoot the ball <laughs> from the outside. Like there's a lot of guys I think that are similar to Nick Richards mm-hmm. in that. And Dick Richards, if you don't know, is like he's like a he's like a def- he's like a Nerlens kind of like like if, if if you wanted to look at a prototype for what his game is similar to, it's kind of like a Nerlens Noel can kind well probably a probably definitely a better outside shooter than Noel, but not someone that you're like comfortable with him like taking a three point shot with. Um, and you know I think like the two best bigs in the draft are obviously, um, Wiseman and then I think Okongwu is up there. Okonkwu yep. out of out of USC, which I think people think he's going to be um, similar to Bam. So I mean, if you can if you can get out of bio, I mean, that's that's yeah. dope for your team. Your, your team your team should be over the hill with that. And I think a lot of teams are trying to find that next out of bio. And I think out of bio's surge to the top of the league is or has propelled to some extent. Um. Okongwu's draft stock because everyone's saying like how can we find the next guy like him and Okongwu could pass he's athletic he can't really shoot yet um but he's just like a he's just like a, a he's a, a offensively he's like a dunker he can he's tough he can pass um but he won't be there for the Sixers so it's not really like a point um yeah. now let's let's sort of we have, we have about 18 minutes left in the show let's go over to the free agency and you and I were talking a little bit and maybe some less than PG 13 terms um, about the free agent options. Um, <laughs> so, and like, I, I think they have a, an, obviously they, 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 they don't have a ton of space. They have really no space at all. They're going to, they're pressed up against the, the luxury tax area and the roster is bananas, uh, which is kind of like why you, the fans are in this sad predicament with this team. Um, but I think one thing that is definitely going to happen is they're going to like trade Mike Scott and a pick to like a team like the Pistons just to get off that dead salary. And they're going to try to free up that 4.9 mil yeah. and put that towards like, like one or two guys that are like take a flyer on one year deal type players. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they went for somebody like Jay Crowder on a mid-level exception, mm. especially if if you if like Miami gets like a Jeremy Grant or another wing that they like more than Crowder, then um, 
I think like Crowder's, Crowder's in the market, had a really good year as a shooter. I think that mid-level exception is certainly something you can get him for. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, I don't I don't know if Crowder is going to end up in Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is going to actually have to uh, work, work their way around finding a guy that's that's much more low maintenance than Jay Crowder and, and will probably require a little less money. But it does depend on what deal they make. And you look at their roster, there's Al Horford, there's Tobias Harris, who I don't think they're going to trade. But then there's also Mike Scott. you got a couple of guys on the bench that are worth some money. There's some free agents there. So uh, there, there will be money available. And if you can get that Al, Al Horford contract off the books, then you might be able to pivot and do more things in the free agency. But as their money stands right now, um, I, I'm directing my attention to maybe a Bryn Forbes or a DJ Augustine. If, you, if you're not able to trade for a Chris Paul, if you're not able to get a Lou Williams or a Spencer Dinwiddie, these guys are low-maintenance guards that can come off of the bench and provide instant scoring. They can uh, set up their teammates nicely. They can do really everything offensively, defensively not so much, but uh, that's really what the Sixers lack. It's, it's that point guard depth. It's that ball-handling depth, that creation depth. So um, a, a shooter like Forbes and, and a guard like DJ Augustine would be good complements off the bench. We talked a little bit about the white shooter, Kyle Korver, um, I guess it's inevitable that he ends up back in Philadelphia at some point, you guess, because he just doesn't want to go away yet. Um, so Kyle Corvers, you know what you're going to sign him for. He's going to give you three-point shooting off the bench, and that's about it uh, if he even does see the floor. but I think he would uh, probably start for the Sixers. <laughs> it's either him or Furkan Korkmaz, Brett Brown's bomber, so you pick your poison. Uh, I, I mean, would it, would, if, so like, let's say Brett's still the coach and he has Corver on the team. I think he would still play Corkmaz over Corver. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think we would be going. I think we'd be going. I think we'd be going insane. We, we, we people would be so mad. We would. A guy who I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about, who I know when he was traded to Philadelphia in Alec Burks, uh, there was rumors that he wasn't too happy about the trade, and there was a problem with meshing him in Philadelphia's system at the time, and and he wasn't happy with the playing time, and of course Glenn Robinson spoke out about not knowing roles on the team. So obviously uh, Al Burks comes with him from Golden State. He probably felt the same, but towards Al the Burks. playoffs and the the bubble, when I say Alex Burks or Alec. Alex, yeah, I, I thought I said you said, Alex. you said Al, like Al Horford, Al Burks. <laughs> uh, first name base. But anyway, he's a guy who in the bubble really came to life uh, for Philadelphia. Not much to be proud of because Philadelphia, first-round elimination of Boston, they really didn't have any life. But when they needed somebody to step up and shoot the basketball when Ben Simmons was hurt or even when Ben Simmons was playing, just a guy that was willing to dribble the ball and shoot it, Alec Burks was that guy. Uh, and he, he seemed much more happier in the bubble, and his body language was a lot better in the bubble than it was in the regular season. So I'm curious to you to, to know, Austin, do you think the Sixers retain Alec Burks? Do you think there's any intention they retain him? Do you think he wants to stay here? I mean, what's your read on him? I think it's – so I'll put it this way. If I had to pick between, like, who was more likely to stay, Glenn Robinson or Alec Burks, I would definitely say Alec Burks more likely to stay. Because okay. I think that I think that Doc can sell him on this vision of, hey, like, come be my Lou Will. Come be my Lou Williams. We can get you into that six-man-of-the-year conversation. Um, and – I think you can say like, hey, this is a really down market this year with, with COVID. People aren't teams aren't going to be big spenders. Are you really going to like go to a team that isn't isn't contending and <clears throat> it agrees to pay you like uh, eight million per eight mil per year over like the next two three years? And so you're getting 24 million, or are you going to stay here, try to compete for you know in the, in the playoffs, and have it have you know like basically a very similar role to what you had in Golden State, um, and maybe spoof your market up a little bit so that way, instead of eight twenty you know eight over three years, you're getting nine to ten over three years. Like I think he has a chance to really reset his market when things return to normal because. The NBA, I can tell you this for a fact, the NBA is treating next season like the recover season. And mm -hmm. the 21-22 season is going to be like, 
we're back to normal. This is like like this is everything's like everything is has has now recovered and we're back to normal. We're healthy again. So I think the option is like, do you want to go somewhere on a one to two three year deal where you would still be maybe underpaid compared to what you could get on a hot market, or are you gonna or do you want to stay here with an opportunity to have 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 virtually the same role, maybe a little lesser of a role you'd have on a bad team, but virtually a very similar role, um, and have a chance to um, be like you said, like hey, if you can get up to 14, 15 points a game off the bench, you can probably get 10, 11 mil over like three over three years, two years with some team, and you're gonna. And so like, not only are you did you do you have another great year, but you're also then going to get a longer term deal elsewhere and increase your AAV. So really, if, if, assuming you stay healthy, it's going to be a good break for you. It really will be. The one downside is, hey, Alperix has had a slew of injuries over his career. Uh-huh. He might want to secure. He want to. He might want to have that security and say, like, I no nah, fuck that. I want to. I, I, I want to have my income. I want to lock this bag up, and then in case I get hurt again, which I wouldn't blame for either. I think that's also another viable solution or vi- another viable answer. But I think I, I, I wrote that, I wrote about this in my mailbag recently. I think they will try to to bring him back. And I definitely think that if there's one of the two is going to stay, it's going to be him and not uh, Glenn Robinson, which I, I think at the beginning when they first acquired them, I would have said hundred percent Glenn's days and, and, and Alec bounces if, if one of them is to stay. So I just looked up, Alec Burke's age to remind myself he's 29 and that made me think why draft a stretch five when you can just sign DeMarcus Cousins he's 29 uh, oh no DeMarcus Cousins' <laughs> best years are still ahead of him I am the biggest DeMarcus Cousins supporter you will ever meet and I am I've heard the disrespect for the past two years I've heard it throughout it's entire- not disrespect dude he I tore an Achilles and then he tore an ACL. But they're not keeping the same energy with John Wall and Kevin Durant. Why? Because they're not heavy-footed centers. They're one's a point guard, one's John and Wall still, still, still in his prime and KD's seven feet. Kevin Durant, even with a bum Achilles, let's say, is still better than ninety percent of the NBA. That I'll agree with, but I think DeMarcus Cousins, who was at a time the best center in the NBA, uh, fits really well into a positionless NBA landscape. And I think if a team like the Lakers or a team like the Warriors gives them a one-year filler, it's going to be all hell breaking loose on the league. A lot of teams are going to regret passing on DeMarcus Cousins. So the same conversation we had about Carmelo Anthony, I think we're going to have about DeMarcus Cousins. And I'll die on that hill. So if Boogie comes out, if he gets hurt again, if he's not producing up to par, I will publicly admit that I am wrong. But I'm almost certain that my, my boy Boogie's going to come back and do his thing. I'm almost certain. I almost, I can almost guarantee that Boogie will not be the will, will. I don't want to say for the rest of his career, but will be someone who you have to take out in crunch time because you can't stay with anybody. And I. I the free throws that he was taking in game six of those finals last year were concerning. They were flat as hell. And yeah, so man. his quad was torn. Oh, so now it's so now we're making excuses for him. Okay. I'm not gotcha. making any excuses. I'm just saying. I'm saying his production. I just think the Marcus Cousins is, is, is gonna come back and I don't think he's gonna set the legal on fire, but I think he's gonna make a lot of people eat their words. Do you remember when DeMarcus played Joel for the first time in the post-game interview? He goes, like, I like that kid a lot. Yeah, they're smacking each other's buster in the game. And, and it's like you. It's like you it's like it's like I'm interviewing you. You're like, I like that kid a lot, DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> but Boogie was tough. And I think he was a man. I, I, I and I'll tell you this, I don't think he would go back to Sacramento if Grant Napier was still there as the play as the play by play guy. Mm-hmm. I know this sounds ridiculous saying it's like a, just a play by play guy, but they hated each other. I mean, they yeah. despised each other. Uh, DeMarcus did say that he'll he'll always love Sacramento. The Kings will be in his heart forever for the opportunity they gave to him. But I don't think DeMarcus would ever sign there again. Not not with not with any uh, any semblance of that front office being the same. 
uh, from when they traded him a couple of years ago. They told him they weren't going to trade him. They committed their entire organization to him, and then they traded him. The thing that, that the thing that bothers me about the perception of Demarcus Cousins is that it's really difficult to say that he faces a double standard when the guy has been top five in technical fouls for seven consecutive seasons. But at the same time, the media portrays him as this this bully, like this guy that has a terrible attitude. He's gotten every coach in Sacramento fired. Players underperform because of him. They couldn't win because of him. And meanwhile, all he's done is go out and produce, and he's been like the most charitable guy in the NBA. Like he won an award in 2017, I think it was, for how charitable he was, donating, having parks built in Alabama, donating school supplies, going overseas, visiting orphanages. Like he's been literally one of the most charitable guys in the NBA since his rookie season, and yet the media portrays him as this bully. I don't understand how that happened. I mean, I kind of get it because of the the on-court antics and the berating of referees, but I just think people are forgetting who DeMarcus Cousins really was. I mean, if you go back and watch Boogie, like he had range to shoot from three – Anywhere within the perimeter, it was like Joel Embiid. Anywhere within the perimeter, he was going to make a shot. Whether he was posting up, driving, or taking a mid-range, you knew it was going in because Boogie had the ball. He's a rim-running center at a time. He played alongside AD. Honestly, you want to know what I'm hoping for? If the Lakers trade for Derrick Rose and they sign DeMarcus Cousins on a one-year contract, I might have to withdraw from the feed to Embiid and join the Lakers podcast. I might have to that. <laughs> the feed to Boogie Cousins. That would be like the, the prime 2010s team for me that I grew up with. I mean, you got AD, you've got LeBron, you've got Boogie. You're the you guy. Boogie. You're the guy at at the park you're playing pickup with who says like the Clippers need to bring back Chris Kamen. <laughs> that's who you are. What does that even mean? Like just a guy that's uh, there is no reason to believe that Boogie's going to be the same player. You can There's say that, that. Li- and I'm There's glad no reason- that's how you feel. I'm glad <laughs> that's how you feel. But when Boogie comes back and does his thing, we can rewatch – what's this episode called? What does the offseason – I can't see the rest. We can come back and watch this episode and and, and talk about the final 10 minutes. Um, but right. we've, we, we've, we've gotten off topic, but while we're talking about the Sacramento Kings, uh, let's use our last five minutes to talk about the 76ers' recent hired assistant coach. So, Austin, how do you feel? Everyone says he's a good hire, and here's my thing. I don't think anyone who says that has any clue other than, like, oh, I'm just going to go by what I see on Twitter or like what I read in The Athletic. Like, like, like there's no one who's going to go back and watch film on all the adjustments that like the Kings made in their 122 to 109 victory over the uh, Charlotte Hornets two years ago. Like, like I get it as you get it. And I, I think it's overall probably a good hire. I have questions about how he's going to fit with stars because he had issues with guys in Memphis he had issues, obviously, in Sacramento. Yep. And, I mean, he's generally – like, he's a brilliant mind that, that people say, but I think he has a reputation as being kind of a dick. Okay. I, I, I have – I mean, who people have publicly spoke about Jaeger negatively. I, I don't remember uh, the players off the top of my head, but the first thing that comes to mind is his usage of Buddy Heald and – the interactions that the two of them had. Uh, they, they weren't really productive. There was a lot of turmoil there, and there was turmoil with him in Sacramento's front office. Um, but the thing I'm making with this hire is that I think Doc is – so when, when you look at Doc's tenures with Boston and, and Los Angeles, of course, fantastic offenses, and, and they were top 10 in terms of defensive rating for most of their years together. But – that can be credited to having Kevin Garnett, having DeAndre Jordan, having Blake Griffin. I think here you get your 1A in Doc Rivers and you get your 1B in Jaeger, and people have kind of drawn parallels to a double-headed monster. I'm not sure I'm that excited about an assistant coach, uh, but what I will say is that 
Quinn Snyder, Jason Kidd, Doc Rivers, people around the league, coaches, speak very highly of him. Uh, he, he won five minor league championships. They said one of the best things about him is that he'll make you uncomfortable. He'll do the extra preparation uh, to find out your weaknesses or find out how can it can exploit your team. But what I really think is going to happen is Doc is going to have all of the say in terms of the product on the court. But it's just a great mind to bounce ideas off of or a guy to have in the huddle that's been a head coach and, and has, has navigated through an NBA season. So I went back and I looked at his tenure with Memphis, see if I could find anything. Um, and to no surprise, for three straight seasons, they were top two in post-ups and post-up field goal attempts. Uh, you've got Marcus Saul, Ed Davis, and Zach Randolph. So uh, that's to be expected. But what I really like is that Aside from having a top 10 defensive rating in four of the five seasons he was in Memphis, that's an assistant included. Um, in Sacramento, from 2016 to 2018, they had forced the seventh or eighth highest turnover frequency percentage to opposing pick-and-roll ball handlers. The 76ers were bottom 10 in every season since 2015, placing bottom third multiple times. So at least this is encouraging because Dave Yeager has instilled a pick-and-roll defense that's worked. And the drop-back coverage in the pick-and-roll defense last year was horrendous to watch. It's detrimental. And the Sixers have been deploying that defensive strategy for, I guess, two or three years now. Uh, so at least now you might have a defensive-minded guy, and that's his expertise that's going to come in and hopefully fix the pick-and-roll defense for Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I looked a little bit into, like, what he did in Memphis in terms of, like, defense. <laughs> and uh, and then I looked also at Sacramento. And while the, the personnel were sort of, like, not on level playing fields across his entire 10 years there, yeah. it was, like, eight – then ranked two, then ranked 20, then ranked 26, then 20. Like, I, I I just don't know. I think he has a reputation of adjusting timely. I just I, – I don't have anything to buy into right now, I don't think. Sam Cassell could be on the way, though. Partners with Doc in L.A. He's, he's still available. I know you've been tweeting about that. So I think Doc might try to – bolster this coaching staff. The thing the, the thing about all of these moves that the 76ers are making is that they're all very safe moves. I, I don't think the organization is making any moves nah. where people can question what they're doing. So you, you, you see a guy like MDA who maybe the system doesn't work, or you see a guy like Ty Lue who might lack true head coaching experience, but the Sixers are bringing in guys with, with really reputable, I guess, resumes and, reputations around the league so uh they're, they're playing it very safe right now could be could be a business decision though because i know the sixers are trying to host the all-star game in 2026 now and then ownership wanted to relocate so maybe this is all just a money move you win a chip and then the team is automatically is. worth so much more but i'm not going to complain if they can deliver and we can celebrate on broad street i have no complaints or, or on Streamyard. Or on stream. Right? <laughs> if the Sixers won the championship, you might not see me on StreamYard that night, but I'll definitely be there later in the week. I'll be 21 by that time. I'll be using King Cobras. I'll be doing smoking weed with the players. Who knows what I'll be doing. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> talking about earlier. Maybe uh, maybe you'll have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid out there. Adam yeah, Silver yeah. takes away the drug test policy by then. We'll, 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 You'll you'll be using the King Cobra out there. <laughs> yeah, the next the next five years are going to be going to be a, a telling time in in the world. A lot's going to change in the next five years, yeah. I would say. And then Brock Landis his mental development too. We'll see if we'll see. Nah, what he I, I, lo I lost this thing a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's Brock Landis. I am Austin Curl. We'll be back soon for a new episode of the Feed Two and Be. Like we said, going to have less content now that we're in the off season. Mainly just breaking news and some draft stuff here and there. Um, maybe a couple of like trade episodes where we discuss like different, we like throw around different trade scenarios. Um, but Brock, any parting shots? No, sir. Got two videos coming up though. Finally got my computer back. I'm going to have to redo the doc rivers video I had with Tobias Harris, but I've got that one coming out 
And right on cue, I've got a video on DeMarcus Cousins coming out. So keep an eye out for those in the near future. He's Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. You can find us on Twitter at Landis Brock and at NBA Krell. As always, thank you for listening to the Feed to Embiid. Have a good night, everybody. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent plunger, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram and Cobra is spelled with a K. For 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.